This is the Jamal Show. Down in. Jamal C. Wright. Jamal. Jamal C. Wright. Jamal. This is the Jamal Show. This is the Jamal Show. Coronavirus. Hello again, Hartford. Hello again, my friends. It is I again, bringing you the exact same message that I brought you two weeks ago. I'm reminding you that your life is a gift to you. A gift only given to you. That's the purpose of the Jamal Show in your life, to remind you of that. And because you aren't going to live forever, you should make the best of that life that you possibly can. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to you. Nothing should help you remember that better than when a building collapses for absolutely no reason in Florida, killing an untold amount of people in a manner that really seems unfair. You know, that's always been a nightmare of mine, the building collapsing while I'm sleeping. I've thought about that before. There would be nowhere to run and hide. Chances of survival in a Situation like that are minimal. Have you ever seen a building demolished? It looks completely unsurvivable. Even more interesting to me was that it wasn't even the usual government facilities that failed. It was a private condo complex. These were not poor people who were victims of the disaster. The building was, in fact, built very well. In fact, authorities think it was built extremely well. The, the roof was in great shape. That's what they were inspecting at the time. It wasn't a neglected property like the lead pipes that carried water in Detroit. Usually it's privately maintained structures that don't have this kind of problem, especially in a place as regulated as Miami-Dade County. There are a lot of weird theories as to why half of a building full of luxury condos would collapse in the middle of the night after 40 years of standing there. Some say the seawater from the uh, beach deteriorated the steel. Some say there may have been a sinkhole beneath the building. The truth is we don't have an answer. We won't have an answer for at least a few weeks, perhaps months. Right now, workers are still in search and rescue mode, and the Jamal Show definitely wants to show support for victims and their families. At the same time, I want you to appreciate the fact that it could just have easily have been you that it happened to. It could have been you. Say that with me now. Say, it could have been me, Jamal, because that's correct. It could have. I think of myself as a man with foresight, and here's why. Two weeks ago, I told you that you could have been a very successful person in life, but then taken a great fall because of stupidity, like Rudy Giuliani. Two weeks ago, I played you a commercial that Giuliani was doing for the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell. He went from America's mayor to selling pillows on TV. You remember that? Since then, Giuliani's story has improved, I guess. Consider this as an improvement. 
It just so happens that the New York State Supreme Court has now decided that Rudolph Giuliani is such a great pillow salesman that Giuliani should make that his career, at least for the rest of his life, starting now. That's right, folks. New York State has taken away Rudy Giuliani's license to practice law. And may I say it's about time. They sent him down a path of new and rewarding careers in pillow cases. And hopefully it will help him pay for all of the defense attorneys that he will need by the end of the year. Because, yes, this man will probably be indicted. Now, that could not have been you unless you are dumb enough to throw away your career for stand-up comedian Donald Trump, like Giuliani is. But you still have time to be Britney Spears, my friend. What's happening to her could happen to you. Here's a woman who's made millions of dollars only to have all of her assets and some of her actions controlled by her dad. Now, I don't want to get too deep into Britney's situation. She's recently been all over the news. So, yeah, we know that things have been a little crazy in her life. Generally, I'm from Harlem, though. And in Harlem, the rule is we like to mind our business. So whatever Britney's going through personally is legitimately none of my business. I don't want her in my business, and she probably doesn't want me in hers. I'm not that dude that's going to go send her a private note. Like, oh, I'm so sorry this is happening to you, Brittany. I'm rooting for you against your dad. Those people should shut up. Trying to act like they know what's going on in her life. They do not. And I'm not going to tell her or her dad or whoever what to do. However, I do want to use her situation as an example of when other people may not be acting in your best interest. They cannot act in your best interest because they're too busy acting in their own best interest and their own self-interest. And self-interest, that's the magic word for this broadcast, my friends, because I am so motivated today to talk to you about what motivates everybody else. So without going too deep into the woods here, Britney Spears is involved in a conservatorship. She is the conservatee. The conservatee. These are legal terms you should know about. Conservatorships are sometimes referred to as guardianships. They generally describe a situation in which a court appoints somebody like a spouse, a parent, an attorney, or another qualified adult to make decisions for another adult who is considered unable to make rational decisions for themselves. This means that, yes, for whatever reason, that is still none of my business, Brittany was adjudicated as unable to make her own decisions. Now, a conservator has a great deal of power over the life of a person they're looking after. They're basically like the boss of the conservatee. So that means that Brittany Spears' father has actual power over all of her assets and many of her personal decisions. In fact... He can have the court force her to do things like take birth control. Seems unfair. Seems unfair. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because this could be you one day. There could be a time in your life that either due to old age or illness or both, that you need someone to look after your best interests so that you don't send your money to some Nigerian prince with a fake trust fund. 
But the key is to find someone that you can trust who is not self-interested. Who is not out for themselves. Now, rumor on the street is that Britney's father is a little bit self-interested. I don't know the dude. I don't know the dude. But this is just what I've heard in the streets. Now, conservatorships, like the one Britney has, they can be good things. They can be good things. If they keep seniors from getting scammed out of their life savings or, or losing their house, conservatorships are great. But only if your conservative is not if your conservative is not self-interested. Because of course no one wants a crook to go shopping on a senior's life savings, especially if you are that senior. Now I'd like to share with you today the best story I ever heard, the best allegory I ever heard. And I wish I could say it was mine. This is a story that I heard from another public speaker about the power of self-interest. The speaker's name is Simon Sinek, and his parable goes a little something like this. Now, we all know Martin Luther King spoke to 250,000 people when he did the I Have a Dream speech. But how did he get people there to watch his speech? It was a very hot summer day on August 28, 1963. There was no internet to carry email or Facebook news feeds. MLK didn't have everybody's home address so that he could send 250,000 people an invite. The question is, how did Martin Luther King get so many people there at the same time to hear his speech? The answer is that he focused on his values and he repeated them. Those who believed the same things that Martin Luther King did brought themselves to his rally. MLK didn't bring people there. They brought themselves there. The people who were in attendance for the I Have a Dream speech were there by sheer force of self-interest. Because they were interested in the same values that MLK was repeating. These values include justice and equality for people of color. All Martin Luther King had to do was shout his values loud enough. And people who shared these values would find them. On their own. And while I'm not the man MLK was... I follow that exact tactic on the Jamal show. The people who volunteer on this show don't volunteer on my show. They volunteer on our show. It's their show too. For as long as we all share the same values, the same goes for those who listen. I see this show as a representative of the values that we all share. So we all end up here at the same time, like for the I Have a Dream speech. For our own reasons. Self-interest is more powerful than any other reason that I could give you to be here. And you're not even standing in the hot sun. And I'm not the only one who knows the power of self-interest, my friends. Joe Biden knows it. He knows it well. We all know that Joe Biden had a recent meeting with one of America's greatest rivals, Mr. Vladimir Putin. In the weeks up coming up to the meeting, I was wondering... I was wondering, how do you motivate a guy like Vladimir Putin? He doesn't seem to care about anything but power. But Putin does care about something else besides power. Putin cares about what's in his own self-interest. We know this 
Because every human is concerned with their own self-interest. Joe Biden knows this too. Let me, let me go ahead and play this clip right quick to prove that to you. Did the things we agreed to sit down and try to work out, did it work? This is not about trust. This is about self-interest and verification of self-interest. That's what it's about. So I uh, virtually uh, almost, almost anyone that I would work out an agreement with that affected the American people's interest, I don't say, well, I trust you, no problem. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens, he says. In that clip, he said he's not looking to threaten Vladimir Putin. He didn't go to Vladimir Putin with threats or innuendo or love letters like what happened between uh, Trump and uh, Kim Jong-il. Biden didn't go to Putin with love letters. Biden went to Putin using the power of self-interest. That's something that Putin can't react angrily to. And Biden's using the same tactic on Republicans to get a deal with infrastructure. He knows that they want to take credit for roads and bridges and broadband, especially if Republicans know that the infrastructure will be built with or without their help. Reconciliation can be done by Democrats with 51 votes in the Senate on any bill that is primarily budget-related. That's how infrastructure works. Because an infrastructure bill is primarily budgetary in nature. It can be passed by Democrats without the help of Republicans. It will get passed with or without the help of Republicans. So by negotiating with Joe Biden, Republicans aren't helping Joe Biden. They're helping themselves. Because they want to take credit for what ultimately comes out of the bill, like roads, bridges, and broadband in their city. So Republicans are acting out of self-interest. And right about now, it's time for me to act out of pure self-interest and perform my chores, if you don't mind. Welcome to Saturday, my friends, the very next day of your life. This is the Jamal Show, the place to get intelligent, live and on your favorite podcasting network. My name is Jamal. I'm an information junkie from Harlem, and I'm passing the fruits of my illness right on to you. The vaccine for Jamal has not yet been introduced to the public, so you are destined to suffer from too much entertainment. As for me, I'm your listener guide, mostly along for the ride, coming straight from the Hartford studios of WKND, and I'm doing that live until Republicans start telling the truth, which means I have a very long career in radio. The revolution won't be televised because network television is dying. Terrestrial radio is dying too, but it comes back to life every time we broadcast the Jamal show. By the way, it's in my self-interest to say hello to the bishop. And it's a good thing the bishop didn't have to meet Putin because the KGB is nothing when compared to the power of God. Gotta say hello to Deborah, our sign language interpreter. She's interpreting the Instagram live page. She's keeping that up and running for our most important listeners, the ones who cannot hear. Shout out to my deaf people who can't ever hear me but still want to listen. The Instagram page is popular and it's also interesting to watch if you're not deaf. So please do. By the way, if you can hear, the sound is best while using a live radio app on your phone like Extreme Mix Radio or Simple Radio or TuneIn. You can make that decision in your own self-interest. Let me remind you that we have an email club called the Think Tank Email Club. You can find that link on the Jamal Show Facebook page that you should already know about. Don't beat us, join us. It's been about two weeks since you last heard my voice. You last heard me tell you stories about integrity. 
Funny coming from me. It's very funny. You should listen to it if you didn't. Obviously, today is my goal. My goal is to have you listen by using the power of self-interest. That's right, my friends. Just like Marvin Gaye, I want you to want me to. Because even Marvin Gaye knew the power of making a lady self-interested in you. But I cannot sing like Marvin Gaye, so how will I pull this off? Well, I'll always do it by scheming and planning on how to get you all more intelligent. And it isn't easy with Republicans banning discussions on critical race theory. When Republicans hate talking about any topic, it makes me believe that there's some truth associated with that topic. Because when lies are espouted, when lies are propagated, do you know what Republicans say? I'll tell you what they say. I've recorded them. That's what they say. Anyway, here's some information for $2 that I can lend you if you are short on cash. The Jamal Show broadcasts live every two weeks on Saturdays, which is more than enough time for you to ask President Joe Biden to whisper in your ear, just like he does to reporters at press conferences. By the way, don't laugh, but I am a Connecticut attorney, so take notes, young Jedi. I can be found at jamalsherradio at gmail.com, so if you get pinched by the popo, you know where to go, go. I do have a new office phone number for the public, 860-200-8874. So you don't have to email me and wait for a response. Just call and let's talk about the case. 860-200-8874. While I'm talking about the practice of law, I need to send a shout out to my good friend Cynthia Barlow, the best public defender on the planet because she cares. I want her to know that I admire her work. Please allow me to remind you that this broadcast will soon be up on every broadcast network in real life and in your imagination. I look like a liar saying that, but a very handsome one. And I can make it very true with all your help. So please share the gift of the Jamal Show. Lastly, please know that my views do not represent the views of this station. My being here is certainly a matter of self-interest on my part, obviously. But if you support the Jamal Show, you can call and ask me your own questions and ask for me at 860-218-2173. If you hate the show, ask for the bishop because he awaits all complaints eagerly. Now, I'll publish his cell phone number later. (laughs) Time for a break, after which I have a little surprise for you. We do have a guest calling in today. His name is Dr. Brian Stair. Dr. Stair is a professor. He's a close friend who teaches at an undisclosed location in the U.S. For years, he used to teach me about some of his studies some of Dr. Stair's studies, some of which included something called critical race theory. Maybe you've heard of it. It's the new boogeyman on the right, and it's been in the news quite a bit recently. I think I may be critical race theory for Halloween this year, in fact. But the thought dawned on me that nobody knows what the hell they're talking about when they speak of critical race theory. So I've asked Dr. Brian Stair to come on and talk a little bit about it. That's going to happen right after this song I love. This song here is called Tougher. It's about a great African artist I love called Loski. Why don't you groove to this and then meet me on the other side of God?
we suffer. It just made us tougher. It made us tougher. Tough, hey, tough, hey, tough. It made us tougher. Tough, hey, tough, hey. Don't want your soul be cautious. Fake people make me nauseous. Switch your currency for the gossip. All I'ma do is just block it. It made us tougher. Tough, hey, tough, hey, tough. It made us tougher. Sipping up where this wine Sipping. Pretending like I am fine Ten. Judgment is easy to find Judgment. Hope is not hard to lose oh. Design like a set of keys. keys So how do I open up Without risking further injury yeah. I remember Days used to cut myself Hated me so much I was not myself You have no ideas How to say that shit Looking in the mirror like Don't save that shit uh. Pity party no one invited Guess at this point the devil excited But uh, 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 I got God on my side He asked me, son, why you feel like this? Uh, hope it's not cause you broke before the moonlight kiss I gave you love, you let it go You let it go. I gave you love, you wanna hold I gave you love, you let it go You let it go. Gonna pick one, can have them both yeah. I gave you rap, you made it grow I gave you love, you made it home a lot we suffered. It just made us tougher. It made us tougher. Tough, hey, tough, hey, tough. It made us tougher. Tough, yeah, tough, hey, hey. They want your soul be cautious. Fake people make me nauseous. Switch your currency for the gossip. All I'ma do is just block it. It made us tougher. Tough, hey, tough, hey, tough. It made us tougher. That song was called Tougher by Loski. Loski is an independent rap artist from Africa. That song is on an album called The Lounge, which is an album full of African artists that was executive produced by my good friend, Fet Jen. You can find the album wherever you get your music online. Now, if you also have independent music and it's good, we would like to hear it. And if I like what I hear, I'll play it on my station here at WKND 97.5 FM. So shoot me an email at jamalshowradio at gmail.com. What do you have to lose? Not much. Moving on, it is most definitely a pleasure to have you back with us on the Jamal Show, the place to get intelligent on WKND and on podcast. I am Jamal from Harlem. I know the exact location of every food item in the supermarket. I have performed several covert operations for the CIA. I sleep once a week, and when I do sleep, I sleep in a chair with a microphone in front of me. While on vacation in Canada, I successfully negotiated with a group of terrorists who had seized a small bakery. The laws of physics do not apply to me. Thanks for being with us on the Jamal Show. Not many people are, so you are special. Now, I know we have a guest waiting to speak to us about critical race theory, but first, I have to give out a special award. The Jamal Show Award for Excellence. You know, I have to do that. And I'm going to move along. And this one goes to distinguished general, a distinguished general who is now chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which is the role writer of the Secretary of State, as I believe. His name is General Mark Milley. He gets the Jamal Show Award for answering a question in Congress by disgraced Congressman Matt Gates about critical race theory. Critical race theory is the new boogeyman of the right right now. 
And by the way General Milley was excoriated by right-wingers for his answer, you can tell they really don't like him. They started calling him names on Fox News. But it's a very intelligent answer if you listen to it. It was about keeping an open mind about critical race theory. You will notice that General Milley mentions white raids in his communication. And the right-wingers really hate that. Here's the clip. You're going to hear General Milley speak up at the end. All right? Listen to General Milley. He's going to speak about the Lloyd Austin. How should the Department of Defense think about critical race theory? Can I make a comment, uh, Secretary? I'm sorry. Well, I'm very limited on my time, General Milley. Well, I, I just want to make a comment. That the well, I know, but I've, I, I, I've asked the question to Secretary Austin. I don't, I don't know what the, what the issue of critical race theory is and what the relevance here uh, in, with the department. We do not teach critical race theory. We don't, we don't embrace uh, critical race theory, and I think I think that's a spurious uh, uh, conversation. And thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today. I know my time is very precious, but I would like to yield some of my time to General Milley because I know that he had some comments that he wanted to make when Representative G- Gates was talking. Would you like a minute or so to comment on that? Listen close. Um, sure. Um, first of all, on the issue of critical race theory, etc., I'll, I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. Um, But I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university, uh, and it is important that we train and we understand. uh, And I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders now and in the future do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend? And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago, and it proposed that there were laws in the United States, antebellum laws prior to the Civil War, that led to uh, a power differential with African Americans that were three-quarters of a human being when this country was formed. And then we had a civil war and emancipation proclamation to change it. And we brought it up to the Civil Rights Act in 1964. It took another 100 years to change that. So look it, I do want to know. And it matters to our military and the discipline and cohesion of this military. Did you hear that? That was a little long, excuse me. That was an Army general, one of the most decorated men in the nation, speaking up on behalf of keeping an open mind about critical race theory. General Milley deserves credit because he knew that he would fake back, face backlash for saying such things to white supremacists, basically. Now, it should be clear to you that I think that critical race theory is the truth, if only because Republicans hate it. They have been yelling at school board meetings all over the nation about this. Tucker Carlson is making faces again on Fox News. So it must be true. But wait, but wait. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of my good friend here. I'd like to introduce you to the show, um, 
to the show, Dr. Brian Stair. Dr. Stair is a professor at an undisclosed major university, and I've known Dr. Stair for probably two decades. Over that time, and long before critical race theory ever saw the end of a Republican bullhorn, Dr. Stair has been teaching me about the theory little by little in our conversations. And so it made sense to turn to Dr. Stair in order to educate my listeners. Not that it matters, but I should inform you that Dr. Stair is a white person, which matters. And I'll let Dr. Stair explain why. Dr. Stair, are you, are you there with us? Are you on, online? Yes. Hi, Jamal. Can you hear me? Hi. Hi. I can hear you very clearly. Make sure he's nice and loud. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for honoring us, us with your presence today. I'd like to start by asking you some very simple questions, and I want to keep it very general and not like one of your classrooms. What is critical race theory generally? Uh, sure. Um, so I, I can say, first of all, just my orientation to critical race theory. Um, it has really guided um, a lot of my thinking, teaching, and writing as a white academic. Um, I'm okay with disclosing where I work. Um, you know, I work, uh, I'm a, I'm a professor of mental health counseling at University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And, uh, and this theory has been really integral to a lot of things that I teach and write. And critical race theory is largely, um, a lot of it's collected black knowledge and wisdom and also wisdom of other, uh, BIPOC peoples. But it, it originated in the 1970s through the writings of a number of black and Latin legal scholars, including but not limited to Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, and Richard Delgado. And um, essentially what their writing has done is contributed to a lot of other works that have exposed the centrality of racism to U.S. government policy and legislation. So... What, what a lot of they've done has targeted not only, you know, misinformation and, 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 and I guess, myth history or revision, revisionist history, but it's also targeted liberal notions of progress that, you know, there's a lot of narratives that things have gotten better around racism. And in certain ways they have, but with every advancement that's been made through the civil rights movement, for example, there's also been a more insidious form of previous overt racism becoming covert and being written into legislation as something else. So what we see today is a lot of gaslighting and a lot of, um, you know, this, this, really, this really dark, I would call evil kind of way of saying, you know, racism isn't a problem anymore, not only by conservatives who kind of have always denied its existence, but even on the liberal progressive end, this narrative that things have gotten better. And so what critical race theorists have done is really just kind of expose what's already there. It's not, it's not anything necessarily extravagant. Um, I mean, it's, it's been laborious and it's been some incredible work, but it's, it's just kind of exposed a lot of things that other people have worked very hard to hide, if I were to summarize it very shortly. So I read from you, one of the things that I'm reading from you is that it's not necessarily a political thing. Like, like uh, it's not a liberal thought pe- uh, method. It's not a liberal theory or a, progress- or a conservative theory. It's just a theory. Am I correct? Yeah. It, I, I would say it's a theory, and it's also a historical and legal analysis that's very factual. Unfortunately, you know, with, with the politicized landscape, it has been politicized, if I were to call it anything. Where is it taught? Um, it's, it's largely been an academic endeavor, you know, housed in universities. But these ideas have now spread elsewhere, and they're largely part of a lot of mainstream discourses, anti-racist training, K-12 through education. 
so you know, and and I, I you know, they they've been summarized in the universities. That's where you know critical race theory itself came from. But these knowledges have long been held by people outside of the university that didn't know what's happening. Right. So critical race theory is really a, it gives it gives names to things that already existed in a way, right? Like to, to theories yeah. that already existed, pretty much. I, I think that would be a fair way to summarize it. Yeah. So there's no class that teaches like critical race theory 101 in college. It's kind of in- integrated. Well, I I I don't personally teach a critical race theory class, but it's part of my um, it's part of my curriculum in many of my classes. But I do have peers who do teach critical race theory courses and or ways of doing research. The- I'm I'm curious about that. You say you make it part of your your classes. Do you get do you get blast back from that? Do you get um bad reactions from parents or anything like that? Um well, I mean I'm teaching at the university level, so the parents whatever their reaction yeah. is is kind of out of my scope, but I do I do I have experienced pushback from from white students before, and not just white students, but on occasion I have had some pushback and and that's part of the role of being a I guess what would be a good teacher is finding ways to deliver that information where people can receive it. Um, so, so for me, I can only speak for myself. Um, but it, it, it there, I've had to kind of, and I'm still learning an art to, to doing these things where people can hear it because some of this information is hard for people to sit with. Is there any reason why Americans should fear critical race theory? Is there a reason why I should believe that it hurts the ego of white people or it makes it creates divisions between people? You know, I had to think about this question, and what really came to mind for me is um, critical race theory isn't necessarily a radical theory. It, essentially, it, it doesn't seem it like one. Yeah, it doesn't seem like one. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, it, it, what it does is it exposes what white government, white capitalists, and white hegemony have worked to camouflage, namely that U.S. infrastructure, law, and policy are inherently white supremacist and racist. Um, and even more importantly, it shows the degree of, of massive gaslighting that's taken place. And that is um, that is really uncomfortable for people to, to you know, because, you know, we've been indoctrinated. And I, I say we, I speak for, for many white people, not all white people, but there's just so many ideas we've been indoctrinated with that, you know, that the landscape is fair and just and, and the U.S. is built on freedom and all these principles that really aren't so. And critical race theory exposes ways that those things are not true. So you know, essentially it can really disrupt people's whole idea of the world. You know, it's really interesting, um, and we didn't speak about this earlier, but um, uh, it's funny how different um, populations treat information differently that they don't like i'll give you a great example and you're old enough to remember this because you're close enough to my generation years ago there was this book out called the bell the bell curve i believe and it was about by this guy he was a sociologist and he was basically saying that you know because of sociology black people are less intelligent and it, it actually picked up some some speed in the science world right and black people were like you know a lot of black people didn't like the book a lot of people spoke spoke against it but nobody was like, we need to ban this book, right? They were like, you know, it's just discredited, right? And I just find it funny that whenever whites as a population um, in general, when they don't like something, they ban They go to school boards and say, hey, let's ban this. I don't know how you ban a thought. You know, it goes back to the, kind of like the idea of, of book burning. If someone had to go find more information about CRT, 
where would they look? Because it appears like there's a backlash in America right now, and they're trying to ban it everywhere. So how would someone find out more information? A layman, not an academic like you that knows all the authors, but where would I start? I think some... So one of the, I think one of the texts that I might have started out with is is been you know things have been summarized in this book by a couple of the original writers. Um, it's called Critical Race Theory: An Introduction. Okay. Uh, I think there's a third edition out now. It's by uh, Richard Delgado and Dean Stefanczyk. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. And um, and then there's another book that I think it's a New York Times bestseller, but it's it's um, the New Jim Crow. And essentially what Michelle Alexander has done there is applied uh, a lot of critical race theory tenets to the history of mass incarceration. Actually, The New Jim Crow is a huge book. I believe it was a New York Times bestseller a year or two ago. And in fact, I have that book on Audible right now waiting to be listened to. So thanks for, um, for recommending those. The other one was Critical Race Theory and Introduction. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. All right. And that's for laymen, just in case you're not an uh, academic professor like my friend Dr. Stair here is. Um, by the way, uh, Dr. Stair, I always give everyone the opportunity to say what's on their mind, and I'm going to give you the same opportunity. Anything on your mind that you'd like to say, either about critical race theory or about any other subject in the world? Anything you'd like to say for my listeners? I think, you know, I, I think with a lot of the things that are happening right now politically around critical race theory, um, there's people that are seeking to preserve uh, the status quo. And, you know, obviously there's a threat felt by the demonization of critical race theory right now. And it's, it's just been interesting to see this unfold where it previous, you know, critical race theory is not new, but it's, it's the new boogeyman. You know, historically we've seen things targeted to achieve political agendas for specific parties in power. And I think we're seeing people, you know, feeling threatened or afraid, and, and this is a way of pushing back, which, I mean, honestly, the irony of everything happening right now is it really enforces the, the ideas of critical race theory more, if anything. Yeah, I was... people are reacting to it. I was thinking the same thing, like the whole... Can- like, they complain about cancel culture, but now they're trying to, like, cancel a whole idea. Like, hey, let's not ever discuss this, and maybe it'll go away. Um... Has any of the backlash made you reconsider your thoughts about critical race theory? Made you backtrack? Made you think maybe this isn't correct? Made you have second thoughts? No. No, I can flatly say no. If anything, over the years, um, the theories I've been been reading and and using and and, uh, that have helped me to understand the world have probably been more radical than critical race theory. Um, But that, I mean, critical race theory has definitely been a foundational, you know, and monumental. way of looking at things for me well you know i gotta tell you um dr stare it's obvious to me that you're used to speaking in front of an audience uh you're really good on radio you sound great you did better than i thought you even would um we aren't going to make this into one of your classrooms today because it can get deeper than this but i'd like to thank you for being with us this won't be the only time that you're with us dr stare it's funny calling you that just instead of brian but this is radio entertainment so we have to keep up the air of legitimacy you know what i'm saying um, it's both in my and your, and your self-interest, my friend, that you have a great day, and we will talk soon. Thank you so much for being here with me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, Jamal. Take I'll, care. I'll be speaking to you later on today. All so, right. So now that we have our summary of critical race theory, my friends, I offer you a break, and I offer it on a silver platter, along with some indie music. What do you want to listen to, huh? How about something new? Something I never played before. This man's name is G Streets. 
Dr. G Streets. He's from New York City. He's a possible new client of mine, and it looks like he's about to be signed by Atlantic Records. So why don't you give it a listen? This single is called Smokescreen. Give it a listen. Murderous bars, yeah, my tongue is a 
clip and it's deadly. Got one for all of you, my war trunk full and I'm ready. Four arms stiff, sights locked in and I'm steady. Don't force my hands, what's attached to my fingers is heavy. Multi-talent, yeah. get it all kind of ways. Burn something, I'll fall back and learn something. Burn something, 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 Never in a million years did I ever expect my healthy daughter, Vienna, to fall asleep watching TV and tragically never wake up. She was only two years old and this happened at our home in Holmdel, New Jersey in 2017. Her death was categorized as SUDC, Sudden Unexplained Death in Childhood. Essentially, this is SIDS, but in kids 1 to 18 years old. Never heard of SUDC? Well, neither did my husband and I, and we are both physicians. Please visit www.vienna.team to learn more about our sweet daughter Vienna's story, our family's 501c3 nonprofit, Team Vienna for SUDC Awareness, and how you can get involved to help uncover these unexplained tragedies with us. As a team, I know we can get this done. Thank you so much for your support. I'm Vienna's mommy, Dr. Denise Wunderler, founder of Team Vienna and co-founder of the SUDC Coalition. Thank you so much. That song was Smokescreen by a new guy named G Streets. He's from New York City and a single, this single may be his first from Atlantic Records. Just remember you heard him first on the Jamal Show, The Place to Get Intelligent. After the music, we were grateful to have the Team Vienna organization tell you a little bit about what they do. As many of you know, I lost a child to sudden infant death syndrome. He had a name. His name is Simon. He only made it to two and a half months old. He died before he could understand how much I loved him. Losing a child at an age, at that age, for unexplained reasons, it's incredibly heartbreaking. This organization, Team Vienna, is serious about finding an answer to this terrible disease that took my baby Simon. I think about that tragedy all the time, but Dr. Denise Wunderler does more than just think about her lost child. She is all about action with this wonderful charity she started. She is fighting in the name of Vienna every day, and I feel like she's fighting for my son as well. So please check it out. Moving on, thanks for sticking with us on this broadcast of The Jamal Show, the place to get intelligent. Thanks to Dr. Brian Stair for joining us in this second segment. We are in our last segment now. We are running out of time as usual. But I do wish to acknowledge that former officer Derek Chauvin, George Floyd's killer, was just sentenced yesterday. He received just over 22 years. He will probably serve around two-thirds of that time, which is about 15 years which is the most I've ever seen any officer get for killing a black man. So I myself call it a victory. I know a lot of people wanted more time for Chauvin, and I know that his defense team wanted probation, which, by the way, would have been an outrage. Thank God that didn't happen. All the coverage of the sentencing focused on the same things, like George Floyd's daughter, his te- her testimony, his brothers, Derek Chauvin. He even made a mangled statement that sounded like he was trying to apologize to the family. But it came out kind of like word salad. 
Nobody really knows what Derek Chauvin was trying to say during his sentencing. But that wasn't the most interesting part to me. Me, I wanted to see what Derek Chauvin's mother had to say. We have never heard what his, what his own mother thinks. So I wanted to hear that. And when I heard Carolyn Paulenti, that's his mother, when I heard her testify during sentencing, I was not impressed. I was not impressed. I was almost offended. And yes, I know a mother will always be in favor of her son. I know that. I had a mother myself. In fact, I still have a father right now. But if I had killed somebody while looking at a live camera, my parents would have not said the following. Let me go ahead and play what she said for you. Derek, I want you to know I have always believed in your innocence, and I will never waver from that. I have read numerous letters from people around the world that also believe in your innocence. One final thought I want you to remember. Remember, you are my favorite son. My friends, did you hear that? I know it was a little garbled. Derek Chauvin's mother, killer cop Derek Chauvin, his mother was a terrible sentencing witness. She was. I was feeling her pain for a while in that statement. But then she lost me at the end. She told her son, Derek Chauvin, in court that she thought he was innocent. Did you know that, Dr. Bishop? Bishop, his mother said, I've always believed you were innocent. I'll never change my mind. I didn't know you could not change your mind on something like that. But anyway, she said so she thought he was innocent. And she always will think he's innocent, just in case you were wondering. Like, if you thought there was any evidence that could change her mind. She already said she never will think she's But that's his mother. What do you expect, right? My mother loved me, too. But then she went further. She added that a bunch of people around the world thought he was innocent, too. Not only do I think you're innocent, but everyone in the world thinks you're innocent. She said this in court, in front of the judge, in front of the, the Floyd family. And then she added a cherry on top. She said, "This you're my favorite son. Now, now, I'm thinking that if Derek Chauvin is her favorite son, maybe her other sons didn't kill black people efficiently enough. Like, what did they do wrong to not be able to match up with him? What does she mean by, you're my favorite son? What does she mean by saying that right then, at that court, at that particular moment? She could have said that back in the cell. Maybe this type of chatter is appropriate for a private meeting between uh, a mother and her son, the killer. You know, I go to see Charlie Manson. I say, you know what, man? You're a cool cat. I'm not going to say that in court. You know what I'm saying? I'm his cousin. I'm like, yo, man, it's not that bad, man. <laughs> Come on, man. You're just serving some time in jail. You don't go and say that in public, though. She said this right before a criminal court sentencing for the worst crime that a person can commit. Carolyn Paulenti, Derek Chauvin's mother, made no mention of the victim. None. None. Not one mention of the victim. It's like he was just there for an appearance to sign autographs. I don't even know when my son's in this court. She only cared about what her family had to go through after her son murdered somebody on camera like an idiot. Now, why did my family have to go through all this just because he murdered someone? That's all? Is that why I'm in this courtroom? You know what? I guess the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. 
And another thing, do lawyers ever prepare witnesses anymore? Imagine if my son had killed a cop, and in front of all the cops standing in court before sentencing, I called him my favorite son. I think that would make headlines. If, I, the, if my son killed a cop and the cops came to the courtroom, I'm like, yo, he's my favorite son. Ha <laughs> ha! I'm proud of him. Everyone be like, yo, how could you be proud of this killer? Right? But that's essentially what she said in court. She's like, yo, not only am I not sorry for him being here, but he's my favorite. The other sons can't match to him. This one sitting, well, do 22 years for killing the black man on, on, on a camera? That's my favorite. He followed my all my principles. I have to say, I, I hate to get on the mother, because mothers will always love their son. But that was, uh, he, she was unprepared. She didn't mention the family. He was already guilty. Saying, I think you're innocent, son. Hey, me and the other white people think you're innocent. I don't think that helps. So I end this on a negative note. I end this show on a negative note. What a dumb family. I gotta say no wonder Derek Chauvin is the first cop they made an example of. Instead of calling for mercy, his mother's message to the judge is, well, a lot of people think he's innocent. Good riddance to Derek Chauvin and his family. And to you listeners, I wish you a happy next two weeks, which includes the very uh, transformative, the very happy 4th of July to come. I can't wait to see you again on July 10th. That's when I'll be back here on the, on the air. On behalf of all the volunteers on the Jamal Show, I love you all. Please stay safe. This is the Jamal Show. Down in. Jamal C. Wright. Jamal. Jamal C. Wright. Jamal. This is the Jamal Show. This is the Jamal Show. Jamal. 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 This is the Jamal Show. Jamal. Jamal. This is the Jamal. This is the Jamal Show. Jamal. Jamal Jamal. Jamal This is the Jamal Show. This is the Jamal Show. This is the Jamal Show.